Happy holidays, everybody. Before we get into the podcast, I want to say a couple things. First, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I want to do a land acknowledgement. I live in Portland, Oregon in the United States. I am on the unceded land of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Cowlitz Bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, and Malala. I I don't think that just doing a land acknowledgement is enough. I think we have to look for ways to support indigenous causes, land rights, and artists. So look for ways that you can support people doing the work because we need those people doing the work. Now you'll notice that this podcast is pretty long. So probably about 30 minutes in, I create a break. You'll hear the music start that you're familiar with. So if you don't have a lot of time, that break is a good place to stop if you need to stop, reflect, do whatever you need to do, and you can listen to the rest at another time. The whole podcast is amazing, but I know that not everybody has over an hour to devote to podcasts. But if you're driving in your car for work or for whatever, and you have the time, then please listen to it all the way through. If you don't have that kind of time, that break is there for you if you need to split it up into two parts. Okay, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. I am here today with my dear friend, Kathy Escobar, and we are chatting about just life and how to get through in this time, and also Kathy's book that came out very recently, A Weary World, Reflections for a Blue Christmas. Hello and welcome, Kathy. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm always so happy to be talking to you. Could do this every day and I'd be happy. I'd much rather be um, there with you than than on on this call, but I take what I can get. Me too, me too. So one of the things that I think is interesting, and I'm sure it's not unique to you and I, but because of the nature of the communities that we've been involved in and are involved in and the people that tend to be our friends, we have for a long time done some kind of prep for the holidays. And, um, you know, mine I always call uh, holiday survival guide or tips and tricks or whatever. How long have you been doing some kind of blue Christmas event? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. I think if this is our 10th year. I think 2020 is our 10th year. I need to go back. It's either nine or 10, but um, when I found some stuff, it wasn't always called blue Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first one I think was like hold the space for grief but we did it in December and then it kind of evolved into Blue Christmas within a couple of years. It had a few different uh, starts, but the theme was always the same and it remains the same all these years later. And that is creating a space uh, in early December. that's some kind of contemplative, experiential, honest and raw space to help uh, 
be available for people who the holidays are hard for. And it's become a really special tradition in the refuge um, because there aren't very many places for it. And ours is super collaborative and interactive and different people do different stations. So you kind of get different mixes of things, mm. which is one of my favorite parts because people bring what's on their heart for that year. Uh, but there are a few standbys and are uh, or or old faithfuls that are in there every year. And one is the anger station, yeah. which is every year we have smashed ornaments or probably last eight years have smashed ornaments. Um, and that embodied, you know, just breaking stuff has mm -hmm. been so helpful. And for me, that's always one of my favorite. We always have fire and a place to just sit and be around a fire, even if it's an artificial one because of real fires. Um, and then we have a space for mantras and meditations, which is kind of like your staff of just building a mantra that you need for the season. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because uh, when I think about the breaking, I mean, I love breaking things. And I think naturally humans gravitate towards that. Um, you know, we had this, we did this women's retreat like the first few years of the bridge and we had brought a pinata and it just wasn't doing the trick. We were up at Mount Hood and some, you know how things switch and something becomes sacred really quickly and you didn't plan for it. Yep. We start hitting the pinata and all of a sudden people are saying stuff while they're hitting it. Well, we destroy the pinata in like five minutes. So then we take whatever we can get our hands on, baseball bats and sticks <laughs> and go to the snowbank. I have no idea what the neighbors were thinking and just annihilate the snowbank. Just yelling <laughs> out everything that ever hurt us or all the wounding and the trauma. It was so powerful, but the, when I think about smashing, when I think about smashing ornaments, I'm like, who is doing the cleanup? Mike Herzog. <laughs> Thankfully, oh my. oh my gosh, he's such a, this is a little <laughs> bit, well, we try to put down a tarp uh, here and there. Uh, we've done it different ways. This year we had to be outside because of coronavirus. And so we did blue Christmas outside. And so we had to really adapt, which was turned out to be amazing, actually. Colorado's freezing. It was 26 degrees that night. Woo! And you know what, though? It was every single person would say it was totally worth it. Mm -hmm. And we did, instead of some of the things that we build inside, um, there's a lot of experiential. So it's like sitting and maybe um, holding things, writing, painting, you know, different interactive yeah. things. So we did all that with nature. And it was so holy. I, there were a few stations, like when I looked up at the moon, there was one about the moon and stars and just the vastness of the universe. And when I put that app up to the sky and saw the constellations, I just cried. It was so holy. So this year we had to break the uh, ornaments on the ground. And so, yeah, Mike cleaned it up, which I'm super thankful for. But it also makes you think on the pinata. I love that story about just then it charging you all to then just keep expressing. Yeah. Um, and during uh, and Labor Day, the refuge, um, Stacy Schaefer, who's our kids pastor, got uh, Kovi the pinata. 
and we had an outdoor Labor Day thing out in the parking lot. We hadn't been together at all in on a Sunday night. That was one of the uh, things that we did over this all this time now. We got together outside, socially distanced. It was a really pretty night and just whacked the pinata. And it, I actually bought two to make sure that there was enough whacking for everybody and everyone will remember hitting that thing. That's <laughs> such a great idea. It was awesome and it was just what we needed. And there's something about that embodied piece that I think this time of year really requires for some flow to happen. What do you think, um, what, was the, what was the impetus for you to start this? Did it come from your own story, the community story? Like, cause I think some people think about, you know, surviving, but they don't then create something to help themselves survive or they're, or it's hard to do that when you're experiencing it. What was the catalyst for you that was like, I'm gonna do something cause this sucks. <laughs> Well, what's interesting in kind of my story is that it really actually did not suck for me until 2019 after my son Jared died. So I will say I've been doing this for a long time because I knew how hard it was for so many of my friends mm -hmm. in the refuge community. And so and it, and it came from, I mean, it was a collaborative effort. It wasn't just me. And it kind of comes from the ethos of the refuge, which is super honest. So people actually don't try and put on a game face at the refuge yeah. that they're making it. It's like, no, I'm worried if I'm going to make it through this season is yeah. a lot more of what is uh, more, a little more um, natural here. And really from Thanksgiving to New Year's. Yeah. It's rough around our community of just um, a lot of heaviness, a lot of realities of losses, a lot of pain around family, um, uh, brokenness, and the pain of just not having anybody um, and not having safe people, not having money, not having, <laughs> you know, it's darker at night. And so there's just earlier in the day and so there's just like every it's a recipe for depression and um sadness and hard that makes it really hard to trudge through and so that's always existed and it's not that you know i was all fa la la every holiday it wasn't really that it's just that i didn't kind of enter into the season with a lot of triggers mm -hmm. and in uh, 2019 the reality of, I mean, Jared died on October 28th of 2019. And so we had to do his, his um, he's a twin, his twin brother's birthday, just a couple weeks later, and then Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so now in 20, and it was rough, it was hard. And, it, you know, we were in the very peak, peak shock, trauma, trauma, barely can breathe. Um, but what really did help us to be honest was community and just being in a place where everybody already knew how hard the holidays were. Mm -hmm. And so I got my first taste of the desperate, I always liked Blue Christmas because it was quiet and I could be, I like honesty, you know, whatever the form is, but 
Um, I, this in 2019, I did show up that night. I didn't have to do anything. Um, they, uh, they took care of everything. And I just remember how desperate I felt to be there. And then um, this year on outside, it was just, you know, just another little layer of healing. So now it's shifted for me, um, but I will keep, you know, it's, it's embedded in our, our community, but it's only one way. That's why I like your stuff too. And some other places where it's like honest, honest surviving this season with a rawness. It's not just about the practicalities of you know, keeping it simple and don't spend money and, you know, just those kinds of things. It's really like this soul thing, how to take care of our fragile, tired, weary, lonely, you know, not even knowing what we're feeling souls during this season. Yeah. I think um, it's one of those things that when you learn how to do it in the cauldron of so many things at one time. The benefit is it does have a tendency to help you when things aren't as intense, like you're learning on the fly, you know, how to manage your expectations and how to leave space for grief and how to not see yucky people and you know all these things in a very short period of time like a month and a half and so when things are I mean for some people things are just always intense because that's the nature of the the life that they're living in in the moment but I do think that these things are not just for the holidays they're they're things that because you provide a space for somebody to feel honestly, like AA does, you know, feel Mm -hmm. honestly and not pretend, it kind of sets the stage for a life that can lead to less pretending. And I just, anything like that is so freeing for me personally, because I think so much of life is trying to force us to pretend. So we're constantly coming against that onslaught of pretending, whatever it is, you know, in your job and your relationships or whatever, and trying to figure out how to be honest and more real. Yeah, I, that part, I can't, I can't emphasize it really enough how it's lacking in so many circles. Like we just didn't learn this part. Most of us didn't learn it in our families. And then if we were, you don't, you don't really learn it in business. There's a few healthy organizations that try a little harder, but on the whole, no. And then um, church or faith community of really any kind, but, you know, I came from the sort of rigid Christian tradition for a long time. I'm not in that anymore, but you know, it was really, it just did me no good in this department. (laughs) And so, and in fact, harm, because it was really discouraged and there were, you know, it was super binary and super, you know, if you're feeling bad, then it must be something you're doing wrong with God and, you know, all kinds of reasons. It was never safe to be 
super honest. That's why 12 step recovery, you know, that's why I go, I've gone for years and years and years and years and intend to go, you know, really forever because they're so, those meetings are so helpful because they do break that down. There's just, you don't have that thing going on. It doesn't mean that every single person there is completely honest and, you know, saying every single thing, but you do have a culture of practicing yeah. telling the truth. And, and there's no crosstalk. So you don't get the stuff that you get to just use churchy stuff um, mm. for a moment. And you don't get scripture verses. You don't get feel better, do better. You don't get, here's a book. Have you tried? I feel so bad for you. I wish it was different. You know, you don't get any of those things. You yeah. just get thanks for sharing. And that is so powerful. Yeah. And so underrated. It's so underrated. And I find it just incredibly healing and freeing. Well, you, I don't know what chapter it was in the book, um, but you talk about your own grief and then holding that space of just like we have this, this need to silver lining stuff because we because we don't know what to say, we're uncomfortable or whatever. And that is not what you need in grief. It doesn't help. It actually makes it worse. And I would say is traumatizing. Mm-hmm. For sure. When you're going through your own trauma. And that's a beautiful thing that AA is modeling is just hold that awkward space. It's okay to be awkward. It's okay to like not have the answer and just let somebody say the thing that they need to say and not have to go, oh, but it, but you know, God's going to show up or it'll all be all right. And <sighs> yeah, no, and I thought, I think, I think it's in the material, you know, my brain is foggy, but there are four movements. Right there, here, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know I wrote about it on my blog. I'm pretty sure it's in there, but the, um, there are four weeks, you know, the weary world is short, you know, it's a little piece, 28 days of daily reflection. Some are a little longer than others, um, for the eating in a beach week and practices and some reflection questions and stuff. But one of the, um, the four movements are honoring reality, practicing honesty, embracing paradox and borrowing hope. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's in there, but I, I, I mentioned this, like just learning how to, it's, I called it pain period. Like just put a period after the pain instead of, but comma, yeah. but. And I, I found this, and it's hard for me because I do like to see the good and notice those things, but I'm learning how to just put a period at the end of a statement mm-hmm. about pain yeah. and grief and whatever it is, just put a, that's, that's discom- it's uncomfortable, creates discomfort, hard to hold yeah. those things, like just putting a period at the end of them and letting it sit there is not just good practice for ourselves. It's also really good practice for other people to just learn how to hold pain, period. And uh, it's really hard though. And I find myself, I love the comma, but, and it's just, I'm used to it. It's kind of like a natural reflex for me. So I'm trying to grow in that department. And because this has been such a blinding 
traumatic, you know, gut, soul shock, pain. I, the butt is, uh, it's hard to find. Um, so it's become a little bit easier to put the period on, but I still have, I still do it and I still find myself doing it. And it's not to beat myself up for doing that. It's just maybe noticing what is that butt about? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, a lot of times the butt is somehow about minimizing, generalizing, rationalizing, or taking care of other people. Mm. Um, and some denial sometimes like that? on my part. Can you say that one more time, Kathy? Uh, which part? The, the paying attention to the butt is usually about now I can't remember what I said. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can, you said minimizing. Oh yeah. So the pain, the, yeah. Minimizing and rationalizing and generalizing, somehow taking the magnitude out of it yeah. to make, to ease it, yeah. to create a little more ease instead of like pain period and living with the shock of all that and just holding it and trusting that it's just true because it is and so it, like we don't have to soften things for ourselves or for other people but I also never want to shame people or myself because that's the other part to me about grief and I've been saying this you know for the past 14 months you know grief has no rules and so you know kind of you get to do whatever you need to do yeah. to make it through um, always, hopefully that doesn't harm yourself or harm other people. But uh, one part is, is, you know, not expecting us to hit it perfectly. So I do put butts a lot and that's not the end of the world, but I'm trying to practice putting periods. Yeah. You're doing what you can do when you can do it. And when you can't, you're okay with, you're trying to be okay with it. Right. I just think we have such a fucked up way of dealing with grief in our, in our cultures, you know, of whatever you call um, uh, the culture that we live in, um, of just get, you know, let's make it all shiny, dust it off, like get back to work as soon as possible. It, how dare you let some of your grief squeak out? Aren't you done grieving yet? Like we just don't have the things that some other cultures have built in that allow the wailing and the breaking of things and the, you know, the sackcloth and ashes and all the things that don't make the grief necessarily faster but it's out there. Totally. Oh my gosh. We are, well, what we are is we're linear and we are binary mm. and, you know, dualistic. So we're just, that is in us. It's embedded in us, in our culture. And, you know, you know, I would say in our white supremacy, Christian supremacy, yep. Yep. you know, it's like just in the roots of it all. And so the linear part is, really disturbing to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief that she kind of retracted some of what she said, like, you misunderstood me, you know, it's not like step one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that, so, but it really, 
what she said fit with what people want. And so they want it to be linear and, um, I, you know, I'm human. I want, I wish it was linear, but I'm so clear. I was clear before I knew that it wasn't, but now experiencing this level of loss, um, there's just no question. And kind of in the process, I, I just took out any, I don't even ever say the stages of grief. I never say that those words. I just say, I changed the language to rhythms of grief. And that they're just rhythms and they're going to be part of our life forever. All of them. I'm not, I'm probably not going to be ever done with any of them. And sometimes they cycle in the same day and sometimes they're longer, but we get mad at ourselves um, for not moving through them. And then people want us to, so like the language that really pisses me off is, you know, are you getting through grief? And it's like, no. And people on the whole, I will tell you this. I have, I feel really grateful because our circle is very um, healthy, in my opinion, related to pain. Hmm. So I just haven't had a lot of that, but I know I hear it out in the wider world. And I see it sometimes in different conversations and, um, there's just never getting through it. That is just a false teaching. And we want it that way because we want to just like you said, you know, get back to where, get back to regular, get back to whatever norm, back to normal Mm -hmm. and, um, their grief, learning how to accept and integrate grief, all levels of it, you know, not just death like we're doing right now, but there's just like every level of loss, dreams and faith and family relationships and our health and the way we thought things were going to be. And, you know, the longest list ever, um, security, you know, things that are really true losses that, you know, we're, we just aren't supposed to get through them. We're supposed to learn how to integrate them into our whole of humanity our humanness and you know I always just say we really hate to human and I we don't want to be human and we are human and this is all humaning and practicing being human and practicing letting other people be human yeah yeah so I think that's a big factor like letting go of controlling other people's stories to make ourselves feel better yeah. Yeah. Learning to be um, better listeners or just keeping your mouth shut. Good long skill. Enough, <laughs> long enough for something more beautiful to take shape because you kept your mouth shut. <laughs> you know, and Cindy Larson from the refuge, you know, she's the one, this is in practicing, but you know, more ears, less mouth. <laughs> and that's oh, a good, Cindy. that's a good principle. In totally. Grief more ears, less mouth. I love that. Just, and, you know, it's like the shortest sentence. (laughs) It's the deepest truth. That's Cindy right there for you. (laughs) Deepest truth, shortest sentence. book because I love it and and normally I really 
underlying books to within an inch of their life. But I, um, I'm going to order more, but I really want to give this to Todd's mom because I think she would really love it. And I thought maybe I'd give it to her not all. Love writing in a book. Um, but uh, I mean, it for any for anybody, everybody has experienced grief, whether they're willing to acknowledge it or not. And we have levels of grief right now. Um, Jen and I talked about this, just we, uh, we have a cosmic grief happening. Mm-hmm. And it has been happening. And now I think the pandemic has sort of stopped us short to actually, are we going to look at this grief that we've caused in our planet and in our relationships and in the way we treat our world and each other? And, um, but I think... Uh, I think people need a process through and having seasons is helpful because this is not a long book and it's very clear and you can, I am not a fast reader and I um, was able to read it in a couple days. And um, I just think it's a good, it's such a good tool, Kathy, for paying attention, for permission to hold paradox, for permission to grieve, for, I mean, there in, in my mind, there's just so much in there that gives people, it's like you can hand this, to, this book to somebody and go, you have permission. It's like, I, I say to people all the time, you have permission, feel whatever you need to feel, think whatever you need to think, to unravel or to build or whatever process you're in. But we humans need permission. And this book gives people permission to feel all the complicated feelings that they feel all through the year and tend to feel in extremes during this time of year. And my question, I guess, to you is what are you what are you most excited about in the book? And is there anything like that you've learned because you put it out into the world? Yeah, well, you know, it was really, most people would look in and go, what the hell? Why is she writing this like a few months after her son died? You know, at what? And I made that decision really, clearly like it felt right and you know Angie you're one of those people who's in my safe circle my wisdom circle so like I went to you and a cluster of other friends and said hey I I have this opportunity and I kind of feel like I should do it but I'm not sure you know the timing's hard and I remember you saying listen to your soul listen to what it's saying if it's saying that it would be good for you, then do it. And if it's saying, oh, I'm afraid it's too much, I can't do, then don't. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. I remember your response. And that was, you know, the consensus of my people who I really trust. And I do, did go to them and I do go to them into you because I need you. And so that was super helpful because my soul said, I think this might be really good for you to do, mm-hmm. even despite 
how hard things were. And my soul was right. Like I really, that book was not hard to come together and I just felt it and I needed it. I needed it. And then I, I, I loved, you know, my community, the refuge means a ton to me. It's been a really healing space for me. We're 14 years old. And so to incorporate a few of the things that we had done, you know, there's a section at the end that has a bunch of ideas for Christmas mm -hmm. experiences. And then there's a place for ministry leaders and people who, you know, um, are in positions of faith leading that exactly. I hope they don't do. It was like, don't do this <laughs> and do do this. And that was, I wanted to be able to say that. And then also for friends and family who are doing well, you know, how do you help be better for some of um, your uh, people who are hurting. And so, and I have to say, like when I started it, it wasn't a global pandemic. Like that, I turned the manuscript in on March 13th, right? When everything um, went to stay at home in the most of the United States. And so the timing was weird. The title was already titled. It's so strange how much tireder we are <laughs> since March yeah. 13th, but we were already tired before. And uh, I think the part for me is that my, you know, my hope for it and what gives me just the most energy is that some people will find exactly what you said, permission hmm. to just be exactly where they are. And that it's really, I mean, it was built for the four weeks of Advent, but you could read it any time really. Hmm. And, um, and there, there's a few things in there about the Christmas Carol or Holy Night, but you know, and a few passages about the nativity, but on the whole, the principles in there are actually not Advent principles. They're not just blue Christmas principles. They're really just humaning from a more honest place principles. Yeah. And to me, that's always life giving. And, you know, my whole thing is always like, if one person gets something that they need that helps live and survive and find some hope and some connection and some permission, some space, you know, some freedom, then, you know, it's totally worth it to me. So it's, I, I'm really grateful for it. It also helped me say some things related to Jared that it just, I could put it in some words, you know, I would say things differently this many months in about certain things or things I'd want to keep adding to the story. But uh, I've, I'm really glad I got to share some of the pain and some of the beauty and some of Jared's wisdom. I mean, he was a very wise soul for being so young. And so some of that is in there. Yeah, that was, that was beautiful to have that as somebody that knew him. It was beautiful, beautiful to have that woven just a little bit through the story that you didn't shy away from talking about it but also it's your story and you didn't need to like have the whole book about be about that. Yeah, that was probably my most important thing is that I don't want um, a weird world to be construed as like only if you've lost a loved one. Yeah. And um, because it's really to me way more than that. Just like Blue Christmas all those years, even though I didn't feel all the, um, angst that some of my friends did, I still needed it. 
you know, I still needed honesty. I still needed space. I still needed soul um, contemplative stuff that would help me listen. Mm -hmm. I still needed embodied. I needed smashing ornaments. You know, there were times that blue Christmas, like I, I was the one that bought the ornaments. So if they were, usually they were all gone, but sometimes there were a few left and I'd just be the one that made sure to throw the rest of them before I went home. <laughs> and I always needed it. Yeah. It always helped me hundred yeah. percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't buy it. You can't buy that kind of release for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you can buy, you know, that, that kind of release and, and also to create a space where people can do that and they're not advising each other on the right way to do it or the right way to feel just, that's a real gift, Kathy, that you have of creating a container where people can come as much as humanly possible as their whole selves. And everybody just holds the awkward of that. Well, and it makes me think too, I, I didn't, this really didn't cross my mind so I'm sitting here talking to you that um, Faith Shift, which was you know, a chunk of years now, 2014, it came out, but it really is about the grief and loss of a faith deconstruction. You know, we lose everything that we used to hold dear related to faith. And I, there's a lot of people that happened to me. And then there's a lot of people that I know in the same boat. And um, when we were working on that together, we just had this really interesting conversation with the publisher about sort of trying that last stage was somewhere about like going back where it kind of coming back together somehow. And we had this conversation and it was so good and it was so healing because they were going round and round to try and make it work. And I was like, I'm just telling you right now, it's not gonna work. It's not how it works for people. Yeah. And it's not, it's messy. It's an unknown path. It's super up and down and all around. It's squiggly, it's unknown. It doesn't have any meat and tidy to it at all. And just as you were, we were you know, having this conversation, I, I kind of, this material is sort of like that too. There's no, like, you don't get to Christmas Eve. Okay. Woo, we got it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not like that. Everyone's process is different and there's no kind of going back to something. It's like pain catalyzes us to new places that are unknown and it's messy and it's not neat and tidy. And it's not a little diagram that's an infinity circle, you know, that makes yeah. it look like it all comes back around. It's just really kind of a shit show, yeah. but there's, it's also, there's so much good in it and so much health and so much um, humanity and all the things really that I value of authenticity and connection and mutuality and all those things are to me mixed up in a more honest story whatever our story is, this happens to be mine. It was different before, but some of those same things are still present, but this is the most big one. Everyone's got a story and none of them are neat and tidy for goodness sake. No, and no. I really- no matter, what they're no matter what they're presenting. <laughs> no, not any of them. So yeah, I'm so skeptical when people say, that's all great, you know, so. I think that's the thing that I keep learning is, um, you know, it's never ending. It's, you know, like 
you enter like using deconstruction as an example is you enter in, into deconstruction and you stay in in a liminal space probably for the rest of your life you don't like i say to clients all the time this is what i sort of believe right now i may not believe in in a year you end up with more questions than answers. And that's the beautiful space of not, you know, if you need to put a God word on it, it's like, I think that's what God wants for us is to be open to more questions rather than having the answers. As I age and eventually die, I wanna die with more questions than answers. Yeah. Because the questions leave me open to humanity. They leave me open to the story of other people. They leave me open to, oh, I never considered that as a way to be in the world, or I never considered what it would be like to live in a body like that, or to believe that, or, you know, all of these, all of these things that there's just, there's no ending to it. And if it can become a place where you're okay with it, and, and it's a lot like the grief, it's like, you don't wanna stay in deep grief for the rest of your life paralyzing grief, but you will be in some sort of grieving for the rest of your life. Because that's what it is to be human and to have loved and to still love. Yeah. Yeah. And the older, I mean, a lot of us are, you know, grief comes at a young age and grief comes in, you know, at all different stages in our life, but it is true. Now I'm 53. And so when I look at the next chunk of years, like it's a hundred percent sure there's going to be more loss Yeah. and starting to own that and integrate that. And, um, I think that that part is, it, it is hard and I don't want to, but I do like to honor it as a piece mm -hmm. of the story. When my dad was dying two and a half years ago, he, he modeled honoring death in a really powerful way to us and totally different than a traumatic death like Jared's, you know, 19, you know, totally different circumstance, but preparing a little piece that my dad gave, it's like, we're all going to die. You know, this is how it works. Yeah. And we do live like that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And so, and I don't for any, I mean, I don't believe, I think, you know, my dad was in his, he was 75 and he had had a really hard life and I was grateful he made it that far. A tragic death, like an 18 year old, you know, that wasn't supposed to be how it was, no question, but learning how to honor and respect that we are humans and we're not meant forever on this earth. And learning how to integrate that and accept that. And that's why so many other cultures are just so much better at it than us. And certainly indigenous cultures, like we just don't know how to do this part. Yeah. And so we're trying to defy it all the time instead of integrate it. And I think the same thing is true about the other griefs, not just death, but death of other things. Like we just want to, we want to crack the code. Yep. Instead of like leaning into the natural reality of life and pain and joy and beauty and ugly and 
injustice and healing, you know, it's all in the same space and that we we're going to die <laughs> and that's, and other people are going to, we're going to have to find our way through it instead of having to endure it. We're going to have to find ways to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's scary when you, you know, when you're, when you're living in cultures that give you no tools, but sanitizing to deal with stuff like that. And so I think you're right. You know, the, the more we can create spaces to look at that stuff, to just be like in our feelings about the losses that we experience instead of, you know, tr trying to compartmentalize those feelings into, you know, a very tiny little box, but as much as we can feel what we need to feel you know, it starts, at least it starts, it starts us on a journey of acknowledging our own, um, you know, human frailty or that we're not forever. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's hard. And um, nobody, nobody wants to do that. But if you're <laughs> not thinking about that to some degree in the time that we're living in, you know, I, I don't know what you're thinking about because we're kind of being bombarded by that in ways that some of us have never experienced. Yeah, I think that that's a piece of coronavirus too, like just the time in the world right now and social unrest because it's important change, like new things are emerging in the world that need to emerge, you know, and it's going to be so painful. And so like we're just experiencing a whole nother weird reality that's super good and healthy but it's so it's a great example because it's so disruptive yeah and yeah. it's so disruptive and um and it you know that is that that's one piece i'd say kind of about a weary world and our pain in the world it, it, there is a collective suffering right now like you and jen were talking about on just just take just covid just covid yeah. alone and you know, this many people's life has ended, this much loss, this much disconnection, this much fear, this much, you know, now it's COVID, most everybody knows somebody who has died from COVID or yeah. somebody who somebody did, you know, and it's really closing in and there's this shared suffering and you see how we just don't know how to do it very well but we're learning a lot probably through this together and yeah. um or at least some people are and I think in the end it, it may help us I have no idea you know we're in the middle of it you can't yeah. um, say but I hope it does that really you know it's really not this world is really not about avoiding suffering all the time and so it's there's something about honoring that there's a whole big world, not just resource people who don't like being uncomfortable. You know, there's a collectiveness about everybody suffering at the same time, but in different degrees. I mean, not yeah. everybody's in the same kind of boat here. I just keep thinking of it kind of like, um, I don't know who said it, but you know, when we die, like, our stuff goes out into the atmosphere and, you know, it, we continue to go on and on. We don't stop existing, 
our stuff goes out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our energy. Yeah, no, our- this is, yes, I, that's one of my most favorite things that someone gave me. They gave it to me when my dad died. And then I asked for it when Jared died because it is so beautiful about that. It's like psychic energy are all of the, the stuff that we, you know, it's, it, this is scientific, the stuff we carry in our bodies, the trauma, the healing goes out into the world as we go out into the world. It's proven. There's science behind it. The more rested and calm you are in your body, that goes out into the world that you walk around it. And you know, as a survivor myself, that's what I, that's the body work I am constantly doing because that's what I want to put out into the world wherever I go, that I can be centered and calm and bring that calm to calm down situations where they don't need my anxiety and my stress and, you know, but I feel like psychically we put this stuff, the good and the bad, it, it's all going out into the world. You know, the things that we do that we are not aware of are going out, they're going out into the world, just like when our body dies, it goes out into the world. It goes out as part of, somebody called it stardust or something, but all of this is affecting our world. And some of it is, I think, not, not disregarding the death and the suffering at all. But we have got to shift and we are shifting kind of against our own will. You know, and that, I don't, I'm not making any sense, but I know what I think. <laughs> no, no, what I hear you saying, I think it's really true is that one is that there's energy and humans are energy and yeah. you know everything is, but that when we, when we do die, I believe this, I feel it, you know, it's like things carry on, but the bigger, on the bigger story, like the earth is crying out, it's crying out and humanity, the big, big humanity, in my opinion, is crying out, like something is moving and it's so good, but it's so disruptive. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that's kind of what you meant, but that was what I was thinking about what you were saying. Yeah. Energy is a better word. And, um, I made this mantra a while back. It's, it's going to change regardless Mm. with or without us. And we can either be a part of the change. It's going to change the, you know, like scientists are always saying like, the earth is going to be fine. (laughs) It's going to be fine. The humans and the animals, on the other hand, may not be, you know, we have to participate in the healing of our world. Human world and, you know, the world world, the structural world. And and I think that um, just being conscious of And I'm not talking about always being on your best behavior, always saying the right thing. I'm talking about inside yourself, trying to to just bring a centeredness, a peacefulness, not that comes from a false thing that's like, get your shit together, but 
being loving kindness, that practice in Buddhism of loving kindness that Jen mentioned in the last podcast of loving kindness towards ourselves and gentleness towards ourselves radiates out into the world yeah. as gentleness and kindness. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's like, it just keeps radiating. And if we want, we can be a part of that, that radiating or, you know, some people can't right now and that's fair too, but the people that can, the people that can bring that energy of love and gentleness and restoration and, you know, radical, radical practices should be doing it. And then if they, they need to take a break, you know, somebody else can pick it up. Right. Yeah, we all have our, we all play our part. And I've been working on this um, kind of post idea for a little while now, and I just haven't had some margin, but it's called dreaming of a non-binary world. And mm. they, that, you know, not just non-binary in one small segment, but like across everything, like just this, I think that's what the world's crying out for yeah non-binary in every way and that we realize that these um either ors you know two boxes that you check one or the other it doesn't work two political parties red yeah. or blue it doesn't work like you can go on and on and on and i think that we have it even in all of our things like we only can bring this to the world and, or this and we can yeah. bring it all at the same time and that it can all exist together and that we've got to stop doing that to ourselves and then stop doing it to other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of feel like that related to this conversation about weary world. It's like, yeah. it's just non-binary living, you know, it's just holding all of it, no matter what it is and in the same space of both and instead of an either or. And so we just love binary. It's just so easy for us. And the world still works on it. Yep. But it, the world's crying out to have it not be. And um, I'm so grateful. Yeah. It's time. But to get there is going to be um, really hard. And that's a story for me on Jared. Because Jared was a non-binary person in every part of him. And that that would that's why this binary world was hard for him and he knew it he knew that there was a better future a better way community depth inclusiveness openness authenticity like all those things but the world yeah it, you know is it's made a different with we're not there yet we're not there yet but we're moving there i have so much more hope than i used to have for the future and it really comes through everyone who is um, in whatever way, living out a more non-binary way of moving in the world and advocating for those things in the world, because that's our future and that's a good future, but oh, yeah. binary is not going to go down easy. That's why I'm dreaming for a non-binary world. Yeah, it's not because people like, people that benefit from it like it. Oh, they love it. Yeah. And they love it and thrive on it. Well, those in power, yeah. yeah. So like anyone on the underside is, you know, and there's, yeah. So that's, this is, this that's really the bigger story of it all. It's, um, it's all roads lead to power, but 
This is the funniest thing. While we're recording, Todd is, this is as non-binary as, as I can demonstrate right now. I'm in here recording a podcast with you. Todd is in the next room doing, <laughs> teaching music online, probably to kindergartner or first grader, <laughs> playing the drum, singing, um, uh, you you put your left foot in, you put your right, you know. Oh, the hokey pokey. <laughs> and I'm listening to you going, talking about binary. And I'm like, well, all bets are off right now. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> like if, if people, like, that's the thing is if we're, it's a really like simplified way of going. If you're still getting stuck on your performance or you know, this way of trying to make it perfect, you're right now you're you're gonna lose and you're gonna keep losing. Because there isn't a way to make what we're living in perfect. There's just not. You can't yeah. you can try. And but I, I think one of the beautiful things that I keep hearing from like people Brennan's age and you know around 18 and the teens is like that's so gross to them this this perfectionism and it's really been made even more gross in the pandemic because people have tried to do that and the people that have become famous or popular are people that have shifted and not tried to have some kind of performance like PR for themselves make them look good yeah. and I, I think that's one of the beautiful things it's just we're all here. Yep. Mom just walked by the camera in her underwear. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's broke down a lot of barriers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine was like on a work call. She's a teacher and she had put her camera off because she was like, Oh, I'll sew my tights while I'm on the call. No big deal. They can't see me. And she hadn't realized that I think it was the cat press the button <laughs> she, was, she was sewing her tights on the zoom call with her with the school staff and she was like oops <laughs> before we go Kathy I just like is there anything that you I know you're in a circumstance that is it's not unique in the sense that you're the only one going through, you and your family are the only one going through this kind of grief, but it is a fairly unique situation. Um, is there ways that you, if you feel, if you don't feel like sharing, totally fine. Um, is there a way that you're like, this, this is really working for me right now, like a tip or you know, a trick that you're using, a bypass, something that is working for you personally to get through some of the harder spots? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to say what it is. And it's, I think it looks different for every person. This is how I'm wired, is that I, I got a circle of people yeah. that I knew that I could go to in its little boxer circle and that circle is really helpful to me to know that I can just go there and I 
you know, sometimes I don't have time. Like I've been meaning to actually, because the last few days have been a little extra hard for me. And uh, this was helpful because you're part of the circle. So I got to talk to you, but you know, I, I go, I have a place where I can just say whatever I need to say. And I, we have guidelines in there in, when I set it up and this started pretty early on in Jared, because I had a night where I needed, I knew I, I needed somebody, but I didn't want to just go to one person because I wanted my people to know Jose wasn't available. My kids didn't want to do that to them in that moment. No one lives at home. And I just, I just didn't, I didn't want to go to one person. Like I needed more. I just did. And so that got clear, like, I just need that place where I can do that. So I don't have to say the same thing five times. Yeah. I, I just can like say it and I don't want, I don't want anything except for, I hear you. I see you. I'm with you. That's it. Thanks for sharing. I love thanks for sharing. It's one of my favorite phrases. So that was been my survival. It's really helped me just knowing it's there. I don't even always use it, but I can imagine I have it. And then I, I try to use it when I can, but I, I just know it's there. It's like a safety net. So for me, it is some safe people that I do not have to edit. I don't have to think what I'm going to say. I don't have to have anything tied up. I just say this. I need to say this out loud today. That's been really helpful to me. Yeah, it is really, it's really powerful. Um, and I think for people that don't have that they can't think of one safe person that's a real thing and if they can't think of one safe person the thing that i recommend is to go to sources where you feel safe like you know some people can't afford therapy they can't afford spiritual direction you know let's say you can't reach out you feel like there's nobody that you can reach out to you know the book holds that space. It can be a listening ear podcast like this one. And there's, you know, lots of other podcasts where just to hear somebody else's voice saying, you're not alone. This is what I'm struggling with. Or they've interviewed somebody and the person is honest, like Brene Brown's podcast is really good. You know, things like that, where you can, you can give yourself time to kind of find safe people. Cause I strongly recommend building safe people, even if it's two people, you know, but if you don't have that peppering your, peppering your feed with, you know, like ways of like not being alone and hearing other voices that you can pretend for a minute, like sometimes on this, you know, I'm actually just talking to myself. It's like, all of the people out there that I'm imagining listening to have become my safe container. Is that place to just say whatever you need to say becomes that for me. And I have people too that I use, but if you don't have that, making that for yourself in any way that you can, sometimes we have to duct tape to things together until we have people that can safely listen to us and reflect back or not say anything, just do what you, you said is I hear you. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. And I just always want to emphasize like everyone's different. What is it? And it's sometimes hard. We don't even know what we need. 
I didn't know until that night because people had asked me and then all of a sudden I got that one little thing. And it's been one of the only things that has been super consistent for me in the last 14 months, but um, that I just kind of knew I needed that. Um, but everyone's different. So, you know, it can be so, I think embracing that grief has no rules is really true. So like, I always get, don't, don't feel less than because you might not have a certain thing. What is a thing that is possible or how are we wired and how can we pursue that? And I love you saying that there's lots of ways to begin to duct tape something together. And it usually starts with some intention or practice. It does. Yeah. Just a little bit of something, even if it is, I'm just going to stop and breathe. Yeah. That's it. And that is a, something to uh, begin to duct tape yeah. <laughs> into uh, a web of some um, tools. Yeah. And so I love that it doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be what someone else is doing, but it can be something that helps us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think you grew up in the, if you grew up in the evangelical church, it's never about what makes you feel good, but really what makes you feel good? <laughs> exactly. What makes you feel, what makes you feel soft and cared for and, for years I would go to this, well, I can't do that because it costs money or I can't do that. You know, all this stuff felt like I couldn't, I didn't have access to it. What can I do? Well, I can take a bubble bath. I don't have any bubble bath. Well, I can take a hot bath. I got that, you know, or I can make myself a cup of tea and all that stuff sounds to somebody that has access kind of ridiculous, but those things have been the grounding elements that I've been able to give myself. And frankly, I could have all the money in the world and I will still go back to a hot cup of tea or coffee in the morning and just sitting alone with myself. Yeah. For five minutes. Right. You know, and yes, I'll use the, the new things that I have access to because I am grateful you know, I'm, I'm all for put as many tools in your tool belt as you can, because you never know when you're going to need a different one. But, um, you know, there are things that I go back to that help me feel comfortable, and that's being outside. Yeah. And, um, you know, now I have to do that in a mask that is causing, you know, rubbing on the end of my nose, it's causing me to get a pimple. <laughs> I was talking to my sister last night. She goes, yeah, she goes, it's weird to talk to you while you're walking because I'm in Montana and we, you know, I don't have to wear a mask out when I'm walking. And I'm like, well, I probably could get away with it because it's late at night. And, and I go, but I'm going to come around the corner and I'm going to see somebody. And she goes, I keep getting like this weird rash. And I go, oh, that's why I'm getting a pimple. Because <laughs> my mask is rubbing <laughs> on the end of my nose. There's all these new things in our new life. <laughs> if that is the least, if that's the littlest payment I have to pay. Yeah, exactly. Worth paying. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much. Oh, I always love hanging out with you. And thank you for creating this space in, in every year for the holidays. Um, you know, it's been a really consistent, important thing. And I know that it's helped 
a lot of people just kind of have <laughs> support for uh, surviving this hard thing, uh, whatever that hard thing looks like. Yeah. This is 2020 has some unique things for all of us, <laughs> but usually it's just a weird season for most humans It to some degree. Everyone has something around this time of year that's weird. Yeah. Thank you. Where do, can you, your book, I mean, I got mine, sorry, everybody, on Amazon. Um, can you get it anywhere pretty much at this point? Yeah, you can. Like it's, it's on, I was really happy it's on target.com. It's Ooh. not in the stores, but it's on there. It's on like all the retailers, but you can get it in the books too. So oh. um, where, you know, pretty much most major places online, you can get it. You just got to search for it. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put um, a link in the show notes. Is there a place that you like better than other places or? You know, I just, it's hard. I feel bad because I use Amazon, you know, because it's easy. Yeah. But uh, I will say that Westminster John Knox books at um, wjkbooks.com, that's the publisher. They've got, if you put in a weary world in there, they actually have a free um, excerpt. Ooh. And I think is at least the intro and the first chapter. Then they have a bunch of like downloadable resources and stuff. So Ooh. that's on their website. You just put in, uh, WJ books, wjkbooks.com, um, a weary world. And then I think it pops up or just do the search bar. Okay. And I'll, I'll put that in there. Is there anything else that you want to plug before we go? Uh, no, just take good care of yourself. People <laughs> just take good care of yourself. That's all I got. <laughs> We're going to make it through and, um, as best we can just one yeah. day at a time. <sighs> Sounds good. Thank All right. You. Love you, my friend. Do you ever have those conversations where when you're done, it just hits you how lucky you are to have the friends that you have in your life, the people that speak truth with love and strength and power and don't shy away from living in vulnerability and like Kathy talked about, their full humanity. I am lucky to have Kathy as a friend and to have people in my life that do that. And it, it, it doesn't come easy all the time to cultivate those kind of friendships, but you have to start somewhere. So if you don't have those friends now, it will come if you cultivate it. And it's important. We deserve to be heard. We deserve to, what did she say? Less mouth more ears, more ears, less mouth. That's what we deserve. More ears, less mouth, people showing up for us. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. Like I said in the podcast, it, it reminds me I'm not alone in the world and you're not alone either. Remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. And nobody can take that away from you. They might try, but they can't, because I am reminding you that it's the truth. Happy holidays, everybody.